May all that you stand for and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. Surely there could be no greater example of insanity than for Christians to hand over their children to government education systems for the training they need to be virtuous, free adults, capable of critical thinking and unpolluted by godless thinking. The outcomes of an education provided, funded and accredited by centralised and duplicated bureaucracies with a track record of self-interest, self-preservation and the accumulation of more and more power at any cost have demonstrated rapidly declining standards in not only moral virtue and Christian character in culture, but increasing illiteracy, idiocy and statism. The dumbing down and indoctrination of a generation has been accompanied by tragically ep epidemic levels of negative mental health outcomes, including but not limited to anxiety, depression, sexual and gender confusion. It's time Australian and all Western Christians were arrested by the predictable civilizational emergency we now find ourselves stewarding, and took drastic measures to turn this ship around, however long that may take. It's time we again took responsibility, whatever the cost, for raising our own children. Instead of raising our own children, Christians have become culturally indistinguishable from those in the world, giving our kids to strangers to raise from the earliest age possible. First childcare, then primary and high school, until by the time they're adults, they've spent six hours a day, five days a week, 40 weeks a year for up to 14 or 15 years being indoctrinated in an education paradigm that believes mass schooling is how we best prepare children for adulthood. What good Christian parents should believe best prepares children for adulthood is not the same as what the state and federal governments or many school administrators believe makes the best adults. What a government is naturally motivated to produce are good little Bolsheviks who can join the workforce and not question what government says best. They'll happily call it education when children go to climate alarmism demonstrations because the end result is giving government more power and taxpayer money in the vague demand of action now. But they won't allow children to actually think independently if thinking independently leads children to protesting government power like lockdowns or government mandated medicine because that takes the power away from government and gives it back to the people. The last time most Australian students learned anything about our democracy or civics, how to basically hold government to account, was in a primary school pilgrimage to the federal parliament. They aren't taught how preferential voting works just before they're old enough to vote, or how our constitution was the result of careful consideration and blending of the best of British and American history. There's no mention of those classic philosophies in liberty and law which centuries later would lead to the foundation of a constitution so successful that it is already one of the ten oldest constitutions in the entire world, the Australian constitution. The only thing students need to learn about Western civilization, it would appear, is how to pull down statues and feel guilty on Australia Day, which is far less important than wear it purple day.
And so let me get to the point. You are all child abusers. You prey upon impressionable children and indoctrinate them into your insane ideological cult, a cult which holds many fanatical views, but none so deranged as the idea that boys are girls and girls are boys. By imposing this vile nonsense on students to the point even of forcing young girls to share locker rooms with boys, you deprive these kids of safety and privacy and something more fundamental too, which is truth. If education is not grounded in truth, then it is worthless. Worse, it is poison. You are poison. You are predators. Government doctrine believes, not parents, but bureaucrats know best. Government does not believe that God has called many, if not most women, to being the primary carer and teacher of her children while her husband provides for the home's modest needs instead of runaway consumerism, which makes the government look good for stimulating the economy. Government believes every woman should be in the workforce, that every woman should make just as much money as a man, and all families should be dependent upon, you guessed it, the government for free universal childcare as young as possible. So every good comrade can get back to the factories, increase national productivity, and again make the government look like they're leading the nation into prosperity. But at what real cost? In the generations since the advent of welfare, contraception, childcare, abortion and divorce on demand, since feminists lied to women that marriage was a prison and motherhood a torture they need salvation from, single motherhood and broken marriages have multiplied to the great detriment of child outcomes compared on average to children raised by married biological parents. Yay feminism! The children born to the baby boomers who embrace the myth of government is here to help you from cradle to creche to classes to college are now parents ourselves. And this generation's children are suffering a modern Western pandemic of mental health problems, anxiety, depression, suicide, sexual and gender confusion in an all too coincidental outsourcing of raising our children to big government mass schooling, and dogmatically anti-Christian cultural influences. What good Christian parents believe best prepares children for adulthood is not that every child should finish year 12 and go to university, but that every child should discover God's will for their lives and what mission he has called them to vocationally, whether that's in self-employment, small business, a trade, one of those very few professions that actually needed tertiary education 70 years ago, success as a wife, mother and homemaker, or a combination of or varying seasons in more than one of those. I'm more than certain that God does not believe the obviously diverse outcomes in income and superannuation for people he's called to various missions is a reflection of their success or failure their worth, or the privilege or injustice that they've experienced. But that is all mass schooling can offer. A promise of equality in outcomes, an impossibly distant mirage in a desert of sound doctrine, and the government's need for more money and more political power to pursue the impossibility of equality in outcomes. So every experimental fad of teaching is to be indulged, and meaningless national benchmarks are offered as false evidence of progress, as if all students are identical drones in a socialist factory. Above all, parents are to be disempowered, undermined, and even criminalised if they dare to disciple their children in a way that contradicts a state premier's spiritual beliefs about sexuality and gender.
Libraries stock books explicitly teaching young children about masturbation, changing genders, and gay sex with adults. Would you like that in a graphic novel, dear? I was in the library, and this book was on a stand. I'd like to read you a page. My back over my hips as I ask if we should take off, take our clothes off. And he's saying yes before I finish my sentence. He's pulling off my t-shirt, laughing when I can't undo his shirt buttons. He's undoing my belt. I'm reaching into his bedside drawer for a condom. We're kissing again. We're rolling over. Obviously, you can see where this is going. I don't know if it's because we're feeling especially emotional or just tired. Or these past couple of weeks have been too much. But this reminds me so much of the first time we had sex. We were both fucking terrified. And the whole thing was kind of terrible because we didn't know what we were doing. But it was good too, so good. Because we were a mess of emotions and we were scared and excited and everything felt new. So this sort of thing, this sort of feels like that. Nick touches me like he's scared that any minute. Now this book was at my middle school and it was on a stand. When I rented it out to show my dad it, uh, the librarian asked if I wanted more and if I wanted a graphic novel version. By the entry door of our library, this is the smut that he is finding, all right? I don't care whether it's gay, straight, bisexual, whatever the terms are for all this stuff, doesn't need to be at our school. The government is here to help you raise and indoctrinate your children. That is, if you do it right. You're just a parent, so what would you really know? If you disagree with your child's feelings that she's born in the wrong body, don't you dare suggest that she wait and see before chopping off her body parts or chemically castrating herself. No, anything but patronizing, deceitful affirmation of her delusion would be child abuse, observing and deserving government intervention. And don't ask a doctor for clinical help either. There's only one professional course of therapy allowed for every individual, and that's full speed ahead would you like disfiguring surgery with that? What could go wrong? Sending your precious kids to a government institution where there is no philosophy of the primacy of parents in the raising, educating, and best health of your own children. I'm a local Logan resident, and I'm very upset that Logan City Council thinks it is appropriate to lend pornography in our libraries to children. They put this pornography, child pornography, which is a criminal offence, in our libraries. Where's the safety of our children? You can't even borrow a book or take your children into a library for fear of their corruption. What form is this pornography taking? Essentially, it is comic-style uh, manga, which is highly pornographic. Uh, it contains explicit sexual acts, in some cases, of children engaged in sexual activity. This material is obscene. It meets the definition of obscene publication under Queensland laws. It also meets the definition of child exploitation material under Queensland laws. They should, these books should not be in Logan City Council libraries. They can never again claim ignorance. What are you going to do about it? Get the porn out of our children's libraries. And I've got a message for parents out there. These books, highly pornographic books, are not just in Logan City Council libraries. They are in libraries all over the country. Go and poke your local councillor in the chest, get rid of them, and make sure you go and check your children's schools. Highly pornographic books, uh, like the ones in Logan City Council Library, are highly likely to be in children's schools across Australia. It is disgusting, it's unacceptable, 
and it's only parents poking people in the chest who are going to make this behaviour stop. Isn't it complete insanity to think that the few waking hours of conversation you get with your kids between year one and year 12 is enough time to outweigh the six hours a day, five days a week, 40 weeks a year they get with a luck of the draw teacher? And the time they spend watching the idiot box or being bombarded by non-stop social media, as well as healthy extracurriculars away from home, and you'll be lucky if your values have much to do with the decisions they make and the ideas they embrace by the time mass schooling eventually spits them out. One of the extreme green politicians posted on social media last year that childcare needs to be free for everyone. I commented, it is, it's called family. A lady began arguing with me with such rehearsed propaganda lines that I looked at her profile more closely to get some context for her radicalism. To my horror, she was a professional consultant for transgender acceptance in childcare centres. Not college campuses or raging hormones high schools, not even age-inappropriate primary schools, but Australian childcare centres. That is predatory grooming. And it is already normalised and widespread, and there is nowhere safer for your children than with the people you already know, family and local church friends you do life with, and know the home life of, and safest of all, you. At the last federal election, I again personally witnessed an Australian education professional on social media who was employed at a very large, very popular Christian school as the Director of Spiritual Formation. He had posted on his private Facebook page, so public that anyone with an account could see it, that he believed there was no party platform which offered a positive vision for the future of Australia other than the Greens. This person, tragically in charge of the spiritual development of over a thousand teenagers, believes the most radical proponents of compulsory sexual promiscuity and gender confusion offer the most positive political platform. How many parents in that large conservative Christian school community do you think shared that view? Or wanted a person with such a poisoned worldview pastoring their impressionable teenagers? How are we going to solve the problems of politics with such people shaping the minds and values of our future voters? Please don't tell me you think that the ones that I've observed are the exceptions and an ignorable problem that won't affect your kids. Even if you found the most wonderful Christian school with the perfect Christian curriculum and zero pollution that comes with government accreditation and funding, many states are already moving to make it illegal for them to prefer to hire Christians to teach your precious children. It's most states' ambition to make it illegal for Christian schools to say no to qualified applicants on the basis that they utterly reject orthodox Christian doctrines, such as God's design for gender and sexuality. Such basic religious liberty is not a fight we should ever give up on. But nor should we be naive about the toxic environment for educating children that mass schooling already is. We need a long-term, profound paradigm shift that ultimately ends up in more single-income families with one parent, usually the mum, taking primary responsibility for teaching her children. Now that could be a micro-school, a homeschool co-op, or a homeschooling strategy tailor-made to her kids and adaptable to the family's changing stages and needs. Needless to say, rampant consumer debt has to be eliminated and careful budgeting and frugality has to be embraced to make this possible.
but I believe this cultural emergency demands at least one parent's maximum involvement in raising their own kids at any cost. Imagine the culture reforming power of increasing the number of future voters not morally or intellectually polluted by mass schooling systems. Now that may take decades to come into effect, but the longer it takes, the sooner we should start figuring out how to support and empower those women in particular to pursue God's mission for them as engineers of the social future which will save this nation as well as their children. In the medium term, we need to also focus on maximizing the quality and liberty of Christian schools to be self-governed by being free from government funding. There is no mission God gave the church which requires a government to supply the needs of. I'm going to say that again. There is no mission God gave the church which requires a government to supply the needs of. There is nothing more corrosive to a Christian mission than government funding. One possible way to cut the strings is to give the money currently being given to schools directly to parents. Assign a dollar value to each year of schooling for each child. Give it to the parents and let them spend it how they see fit on their child's education without requiring government approval. A simple test on purpose, just like business expense claims, is all that is needed with occasional audits to prevent it being randomly spent on drugs and gambling. Let's take the power hoarded by governments and give it to parents, whom God gave the children to. Such a system would quickly incentivize underperforming schools to focus on the outcomes parents valued and not the outcomes strangers, bureaucracies and governments valued. The final short-term need we should focus on urgently for the sake of other people's kids and the future of our nation is the quality of education and curriculum being offered right now. How can we so frequently fail to even get kids to year seven with a basic standard of literacy, simply shoving them through the sausage grinder of age-dictated grades and shrugging our shoulders when they enter high school illiterate? Why aren't all students being taught about the great thinkers of Western civilization, the history of other great and fallen civilizations, the great literature like Shakespeare, Keats and the Bible, or even how to read a business's profit and loss or balance sheets, or how to manage a family budget, avoid consumer debt, save a deposit and buy a home. Sadly rare adult life skills. Massive education reform must become an election issue. The only viable strategy to putting the brakes on runaway government power and experiments in education is to elect a strong, conservative crossbench in the upper house of all parliaments. My first guest in this first episode of 2023 is Mark Latham, and he's got quite a bit to say about the failures of the education system in New South Wales, as well as a few ideas on how to fix it. Mark Latham, welcome to the Church and State Show, and thank you for your time today. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Always a pleasure. And uh, thank you for all the work you do at Church and State, which is uh, fantastic. Now, I'm actually really, I guess, echoing agreement with the things I've seen you put out on social media, a very strong and assertive opinion uh, about the need for a reformation in the education system in New South Wales with the election coming up. 
you've asserted some strong policies. Uh, perhaps my favorite one is uh, getting back to the primacy of parental responsibility and authority in the raising of their children. But why don't you give us the helicopter view to start with? What are the major problems with the New South Wales education system? And what policy implementations would you like to put in to fix those problems and, and get a better outcome for children in New South Wales? Well, there are two big things. One is that um, not enough classrooms follow the evidence base of what actually works in terms of teaching methods and content. Uh, you know, school education has been studied inside out all over the world. We know exactly what works uh, in terms of classroom teaching and what doesn't work. But 10 years ago in New South Wales, the National Party Minister Bickley introduced a thing called local schools, local decisions, which basically said to the schools, you just go off and do whatever you want. We're not going to mandate centrally any particular teaching method or aspect of your classroom practice. And that was the worst possible time because the lefties in the education establishment were drifting off to fads and experiments. So too many classrooms have got away from the evidence base. And we know exactly what works, direct instruction, not teachers as facilitators and student starting learning. Um, we know that uh, phonics works better than whole word. We know you need a strong behavioural standards, lots of testing, data measurement, individual student learning plans. So they're the six things should, that should be mandated centrally by the New South Wales Education Department and, and be compulsory for every classroom. Um, that's our policy uh, and it would make a, a huge difference. It would turn around the tragedy whereby New South Wales has had the fastest falling school academic results this century Wow! Uh, in the world, not just in Australia, the entire planet. That we'd bring back school inspectors to certify that the right classroom practice is being followed and, and to send out to parents twice a year a guarantee that their child is being uh, educated according to the mandated requirements of evidence-based classroom practice, uh, best practice. Uh, and the second big thing in the education system is too many teachers now are thinking that they're really the parents of the children and parental rights have been diminished. Uh, we would introduce, as I did in the last parliament, a parental rights bill that says that uh, parents are the primary educators of their children they have a legal right to take their children out of classes that don't accord with their moral, ethical, religious values uh, at home. Uh, they'd have, uh, uh, from the schools, the schools would have a legal obligation to always inform the parents of any significant development with the academic progress or personal development of their child. So no secrets policy and also a no surprises policy. You know, I get so many parents ring me up and say, oh, my daughter just came home from school and I found out that year eight English is gender studies. What can I do about it? Well, parents have got to know what's coming up in the curriculum, be fully briefed on that and have that legal right to take their children out of classes that don't accord with their values. So um, there's a big bundle of changes that are needed to restore parental rights and ensure that uh, parents are first-class citizens in the education system, not downgraded, because, Dave, I can give you one rolled gold guarantee. No good ever comes from keeping parents in the dark. No good ever comes from it, and it can't be allowed to continue. One of the things that I've seen you note is that there's something like 17,000 children each year currently going from year six into high school without an adequate standard of literacy. Uh, surely this is an emergency that demands urgent and immediate and maybe drastic intervention and action. Well, it does, and it shows that um, uh, 
one of two things or a combination is not happening in early literacy in primary school level, that phonics is not being taught at all or it's not being taught adequately because we know phonics sounding out of words will get children um, to reading proficiency. Obviously, if we've got 17,000 students who can't uh, read and write to a decent standard when they enter year seven going to high school, in the earlier years of literacy, they're not teaching the uh, phonics either at all or adequately. So phonics works a lot better than whole words. The sounding out in phonics is a superior method. Every child will be able to read and write if they're taught phonics. And this is the problem. The left-wing education establishment a couple of decades ago went off with this whole word nonsense, uh, a low value added, a low evidence base uh, method of teaching literacy, and it's been a dismal failure. We've got to reverse that. And every school in every classroom in early literacy has got to be teaching phonics. This strikes me as one of those things where there's a overinflated bureaucracy that's looking for problems to justify the solutions of an overinflated uh, bureaucracy, that there's problems that don't exist and they're trying to justify their own existence by coming up with new and innovative ways which just aren't needed and actually are detrimental. Can you think of any other reason why uh, administrators, bureaucrats, consultants might be trying to uh, fix what isn't broken? That's why we need to mandate the six things that work well in a classroom and report to parents through the school inspectors sitting in on classroom practice, what's actually going on. A lot of parents say, I just don't know what's happening in the classroom. So the school inspectors would do two important things. One, they'd be the eyes and ears of the parents to say your child's being taught at um, a best practice in the classroom, or if the teacher's substandard, uh, these inspectors or mentors would come in to work with that teacher, particularly if they're a new teacher straight out of uni, uh, to bring them up to the evidence base and the best way of getting results for the students in the class. So there are massive problems and you need central government interventions from the education department. You're right, Dave, in saying there's a bloated bureaucracy, but what do they do all day? If the schools have got the freedom to go do whatever they want, why do the numbers of bureaucrats in the education department at Parramatta continue to grow exponentially? What do they do all day? Well, what they should be doing is monitoring um, and ensuring that every single classroom is taught to the evidence base. It's not a question of left, left versus right. It's either following the evidence or not following it. And we need to ensure every classroom is following the things that are known to work for those students and the parents have got a guarantee that that's actually happening. And if it's not happening, the teachers are being uh, mentored and improved to come up to best practice. What credit do you give to the theory or the idea that detaching government funding from government accreditation and government curriculums uh, will actually improve student outcomes and in a way empower the market of parents to determine where they would like education funding to be uh, best spent and invested. So the, the basic theory would be that every student in Australia is allocated an equal amount of government funding and that is given to the parents with a basic means test, the kind of which would be used for a business deduction, that uh, that parent then gets to invest that however they see fit in their child's education, really giving the power back to parents, whether they choose homeschooling, private schooling, state schooling, or any combination thereof. Uh, do you think that has a, a future or, or present part in the solution to 
the rapid descent of education outcomes in New South Wales? Well, you're talking about a voucher scheme that would uh, turn the education system upside down. I think the immediate issue is to solve the problem of classroom practice that deviates from the evidence base. It's not following the rules and, and, and research as to what actually works in lifting student results. In terms of parental choice, here in New South Wales, we've been fortunate to have a flourishing independent school system uh, and also Catholic schools where uh, they're very affordable, particularly now in Western Sydney, you're getting very affordable uh, low-fee Anglican colleges in Western Sydney, Islamic colleges, uh, the Jewish schools in, in New South Wales have been pretty strong. Uh, Christian schools, of course, are flourishing all over the state. Um, so I think that's the best avenue for parental choice and supporting those schools as much as possible with government capital funding, taking away the development fees when you establish a new school, lifting the enrolment caps, doing some things about what we call Section 83C, which has sort of become a persecution mechanism against non-government schools. I think we need to recognise parents are voting with their feet and we should be supporting non-government schools as much as possible. They're taking the enrolment growth which is good for the government budget. Um, and, and, and there needs to be a recognition of that to ensure there's no impediment to independent schools being established, to growing, to doing the great work and getting the great results that they've been achieving. And as those results continue to flourish, more parents will leave the government sector and take up the option of affordable non-government education for their children. Can you explain collective teacher efficacy to me and how that can be implemented in the New South Wales uh, public education or, or state education system? What does that actually look like in application? Uh, well, this comes out of John Hattie's research. He's uh, categorised every single possible teaching method and, 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 and approach a school can have for the value it adds to a student's education. And uh, by far the greatest benefit to student results is from what he's labelled collective efficacy in the school. And basically it means all the teachers are pulling in the one direction. They're all following the evidence base. They're all working with uh, direct instruction, phonics, strong behavioural standards, testing, data assessment inside the school. Every single teacher is moving in one direction. That helps them on two fronts. One, in their professional development, they know what everyone is supposed to be achieving. So they work collectively in their professional development to ensure every teacher in the classroom is doing it the right way. The second benefit is for the students, because it means that instead of, say, in a primary school, seven one-year experiences where every year changes what the teacher does at the front of the classroom, you can have one seven-year experience where the student moving, say, from year two to three, doesn't have to adapt to a new teacher teaching a totally different way. So if they're doing it collectively and they've got one teaching method that's high value added, evidence-based, that works for the students, then it's a lot easier for the students to have that one experience across seven years instead of seven one-year different experiences uh, as they move from year to year, teacher to teacher, class to class. So that's what Hattie's research shows and it tends to work. It certainly does work in schools that I've seen, and it too should be happening uh, in the education system across the board. Tell me what your thoughts are on the discovery that around Australia, there are obscene graphic novels being placed in public and council and school libraries, which are instructing children, very young children, on incredibly adult uh, and inappropriate 
uh, topics such as masturbation, adult to boy uh, intercourse, and other things which are being removed from libraries um, around the world and, and yet seem to have not been classified as adult material yet in Australia uh, and are still remaining in many libraries, much to the surprise and disappointment of unaware parents. Well, age-inappropriate material should be removed and it shouldn't have been put there in the first place. I mean, there's a certain sickness uh, in local government with drag queen story time presentations where they're trying to uh, customise three-year-olds to LGBT alphabet activism. Um, there's a sickness in the childcare and preschool systems where they think they need to celebrate World Pride with three- and four-year-olds who've got no... Uh, understanding of sexuality or gender issues at all. I mean, these are essentially adolescent and adult concepts, uh, certainly not for three and four-year-olds. And then there's a sickness in the school system where, say, at the Yamina Beach Public School in New South Wales, Central Coast, they ran a gender fluidity class for seven-year-olds in year two. And I said to the minister, I raised this and said it should be banned. And she said, oh, I wasn't in class time. Well, we then found out in documents it was in class time and of course, it's completely age inappropriate. It's child abuse. I mean, they say mental health problems among young people. Well, if you confuse a six or seven year old about their gender, of course, they're going to have worries and troubles and mental health issues. Mm -hmm. So this is self-perpetuating by the left wing of politics. It's part of the crazy idea. There's no difference between men and women, male and female. It's interchangeable. It's fluid. It's not. The, bio, the biology textbook, at least in year 11, tells us there are two genders, male and female, and that's what should be taught in schools. And nothing about gender and sexuality is actually relevant to the basics of education. I mean, we're not doing well enough on literacy and numeracy or geography or history or maths to have the indulgence of these extra subjects that have come in purely for political, cultural Marxism reasons by teachers who I think are engaging in a form of child abuse. I couldn't agree more. It seems like uh, you've got a couple of policies which make an abundance of common sense, such as banning mobile phones in schools, barely even seems to need commentary. Uh, removing vaccination mandates also seems like an, an abundant level of common sense that was surprisingly missing in action over the last two or three years from both sides of governments in most uh, states and levels of government. Uh, but tell me about the policy to create new special schools for those children who seem especially prone to violence, bullying and, and chronic misbehaviour. Well, one of the reasons we've got a, a teacher shortage in New South Wales is that too many people are leaving the profession because the behavioural standards are abysmal. Uh, disruptive and violent children, um, students swearing at the teachers on a regular basis, throwing things, disrupting the class are a curse not only on the teaching profession, but also the, the students who just want to concentrate, study and do their work. So if a child has chronic behavioural problems, they, they won't be solved in the current regular school environment where the whole emphasis is on well-being and, you know, make the kids happy, let them do whatever they want. They've got chronic behavioural problems. They should be put into specialist behavioural schools to correct those problems. And, and, and that's good for the kids who've got these bad issues. Some of them come out of the home. And they do need specialist counselling, assistance, diversion into the special schools where they get the help. I think it's a win-win in that they obviously get the assistance. Some of these issues come out of 
the home, some of them are very hard to solve. So they do need specialist assistance in schools. We used to have these special schools in New South Wales. We've got to bring them back. So it's good for those kids, but it's also good for the kids who want to study hard and concentrate in the classroom and do their work. They can do it without disruption. Uh, violent um, students abusing the teachers, abusing their, their peers. So I think it's uh, much needed. It's unfortunately at the moment for these misbehaving students in regular schools, mainstream schools, the whole approach is well-being, make the kids happy, let them do whatever they want. And it's turned some of these classrooms into a jungle. And that's one of the reasons so many teachers are leaving and, and, and also one of the reasons why our school results have gone backwards. And finally, Mark Latham, Tell me about the positive things uh, in a little bit of detail, if you can, uh, just a little bit of the things that should be added back into the curriculum, which have been gone from the curriculum for maybe decades. Uh, the, the great values and virtues of uh, Western civilization from uh, British history and American history, which all combined to create uh, the foundation for Australia and the great successful society we've inherited in this generation? Well, I think there are three main uh, problem areas. Uh, as head of the Upper House Education Committee, I did an extensive report on curriculum reform. So that can be read off the New South Wales Legislative Council website uh, for our PC3 Education Committee. But the three areas that stand out is that PDHPE, which used to be physical education, and sport is now some weird form of leftist teaching about gender fluidity and other personal development sexuality subjects that are just completely age inappropriate. So that's got to be overhauled and go back to the basics of physical education. The second one is English, where again, gender studies have overrun it, political themes, listening to Emma Watson's speech at the United Nations about feminism. Uh, we've lost the classics of English literature, our civilization, uh, they're not teaching enough Shakespeare, Dickens, Orwell. You know, when I was at school, the, the English teacher said, if you want to learn to write well, read Dickens, read Charles Dickens, and, 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 and that will teach you uh, the, the beauty of short descriptive sentences. So those things have been lost. Um, the greats of poetry and, 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 and theatre, plays, novels, uh, there's barely any of it happening now, replaced by political junk. So again, the English curriculum has got to go back to the classics and the basics. And the third area is history. History should be taught uh, as, as a knowledge-rich, uh, a fact-rich subject and taught uh, by and large in chronological order instead of the thematic stuff they have now, which again is just a, um, uh, another version of politics. Also joining me today is one of Australia's leading conservative public intellectuals. He is committed to a free, classic view of education, one based on truth and wisdom and on Christian morals and beliefs. He has years of experience researching, publishing, and speaking on education, culture, and religion. Kevin Donnelly, welcome to the Church and State Show, and uh, thank you for all the work that you do in this very Im important space. Uh, something that is uh, very concerning, and, and you've shared in this concern, and spoken and written about it extensively, is the rapid invasion of leftist ideology, now commonly referred to as wokeism, into the education system, not just in the tertiary institutions, but certainly being flooded now into secondary and even primary education. Uh, can you begin to outline, for those of us who have zero uh, interest in the education system, uh, what is the evidence of this problem 
um, being so invasive and, and serious and demanding of our attention? When you look at what is happening in, in schools, whether it's primary or secondary, around Australia, and it's happening internationally as well, in England and America, for example, what I call the cultural left, uh, they've taken what people call the long march into our schools and universities, even primary school, where they're indoctrinating young people with their particular ideology. And there are many examples in Australia. I mean, probably the worst one is the Safe Schools Program, which went into schools nationally five or six years ago. And that was teaching even eight, ten-year-old children that boys can be girls and girls can be boys. And uh, the problem there was, as we know, uh, if you look at the Bible, uh, God made man and woman. And if you look at biology, 99% of babies are born male or female. But what this ideology was, this LGBTQI plus ideology, as I call it, it was about teaching young people that gender and sexuality are fluid and limitless, and they can choose whatever they want to be on that scale. And that's why we have so much trouble now with young people being confused and uncertain about their gender. And uh, that's probably the most recent example that has had a lot of media coverage. But there are others. How um, persistent or, or how intractable, that's the right word, how intractable and irresistible is this problem? Does the average public school teacher have the latitude to ignore uh, these elements in the national curriculum and various state curriculum? Uh, and, and if so, how many of them are actually providing an unadulterated, um, wholesome education for their students. I reviewed the national curriculum in 2014. I co-chaired that review. And at the general level, it is very politically correct or very woke. So that's the roadmap, if you like, that all schools in Australia, government and non-government, have to teach. The various states and territories do uh, adjust it. But if you look at the way, for example, uh, multiculturalism or indigenous or sustainability, climate, uh, what schools have to teach, it's a very cultural left view. Mm. So with the environment, for example, students are always told that the world will be ending in 10, 20 years unless we get rid of uh, coal and gas. There's never a balanced debate about that. With Indigenous uh, studies, when you look at the curriculum from prep to year 10, there are hundreds of references to Aboriginal culture, history. There are probably only three or four to Christianity. So what the national curriculum does, in history in particular, is it puts the focus on Indigenous, but we ignore, to a large degree, Western culture, Western civilization and the way Christianity underpins and enriches our way of life. So apart from gender, which I mentioned, the way history is taught is another one. And the fact that Judeo-Christianity is being airbrushed or cancelled, if you like.
Now, you, you mentioned indigenous um, issues, etc. It strikes me very obviously that a bit like Jew, Jewishness, uh, Jewishness is both a culture and ethnicity, and it's also a religion and a worldview. Of the presence of indigenous uh, studies in the Australian culture, what percentage of it would be teaching the Aboriginal religion uh, as opposed to just the, the ethnic and, and history of Indigenous Australians? In the national curriculum, there's a very strong focus on Aboriginal culture, and that includes spirituality. I mean, uh, it's quite common now, as we know, to have welcome to country, to have burning uh, leaves at ceremonies. We, uh, in our schools, we learn a lot about uh, Aboriginal Dreamtime stories about, uh, as I say, their culture, their spirituality. And the problem I have, uh, and I taught for 18 years, is that we're not getting a balanced, objective, impartial approach. Mm. I mean, when you look at the population, about 4%, just under 4%, identify as Indigenous. But if you look at Christianity, for example, in the latest census, that was about 44%. And our legal, our political systems, plus uh, our religion, the main religion, is Christianity. And it's a great shame that in schools, even in uh, non-government schools, the focus now is very much away from Western culture, Christianity, towards Indigenous. A good example will be a recent meeting in Victoria of the English Teachers Association. They told teachers they must go into the English classroom and tell students uh, about Aboriginal culture to tell them that the, uh, the voice must be uh, approved. So they're telling young people that their parents should vote yes. And I think, again, that's a danger because teaching should be about being impartial, not indoctrinating young people. Now, you mentioned uh, that the national curriculum is, is heavily saturated and um, infested with political correctness. Um, now, some people listening to this might say, well, what's wrong with political correctness? Isn't that just being polite and, and having good manners? When you look at uh, political correctness, uh, when it began, it became more commonly known 10, 20 years ago. People argued it was all about or just about being fair, being balanced, not offending people. But in fact, it's grown more extreme as time has gone on. And as we know, political correctness now, uh, you can lose your job, you can be publicly attacked and vilified. Margaret Court, for example, Israel Folau, they were attacked and vilified for their beliefs about same-sex marriage. Mm. Uh, recently, a head, uh, a CEO of one of our AFL clubs in Melbourne, he had been in the job for two or three days, and he, he was pressured to, uh, to leave that job because he was associated with a Christian church. Mm. So political correctness, I understand that we should be tolerant, but what is happening now, and Jermaine Greer talks about this, as does uh, uh, a lot of other uh, commentators, what's happening now is that it's become intolerant. So rather than being fair and open, it's now very uh, vitriolic, uh, whether it's J.K. Rowling, 
her books, you know, people are saying they should be banned because she opposes mm. uh, this whole move to transitioning, transgendering, transgenderism. Mm. So it, it's very powerful now and very dangerous. Kevin, just finally, what do you think Christian parents in particular, but perhaps uh, more broadly, even conservative parents, people who don't want their children indoctrinated in these ideologies, on two levels, what should they be doing about the political situation to affect a, a better outcome in the education system? And two, what should they be doing um, in the overall picture of, of training their children? Is it that, is there ways that parents should be taking more responsibility and more investment, uh, more interest in their own children's education? I've always argued, as many others have, that parents are their children's primary educators and moral guardians. So parents are responsible for ensuring that their children have a, a, a good grounding in virtues, in, uh, in, in my case, our family, Christian virtues. Mm. Parents have that responsibility. They need to be aware of what's happening at their children's schools. They need to go up and talk to teachers, find out what is on the curriculum, and if they're not happy, they need to talk to the principal or the teacher to explain that. I mean, uh, there are political parties. Unfortunately, if you look at the major parties, Liberal and Labor, Federal and State, they've done very little to uh, ameliorate the problem or to argue against being woke. I know Mark Latham in New South Wales has been very strong on this, but most politicians haven't really entered what John Howard called the battle of ideas. So parents need to be aware, they need to take responsibility. And I was involved in a conference last year, numbers of, numbers of parents around Australia are organising to set up their own schools yep. and making sure that the curriculum is based on a classical education, something more rigorous academically and not as biased. Yeah, brilliant. Kevin, thank you again for the work you're doing and um, I look forward to working with you on uh, the education conference that Church and State will be hosting in Brisbane in June. Uh, that's going to be lots of fun if people want to get uh, notified of that as, as soon as it's announced and tickets are available, then subscribe to the mailing list at churchandstate.com.au. But uh, is there any other final word of exhortation or encouragement or action that you would uh, give parents, especially in New South Wales, coming up to the New South Wales state election? Really, uh, elections come so rarely, every three or four years. You need, as a parent, to be very much uh, aware of what the policies are, especially in education. So if I was a parent, they really need to look at the policies, uh, whether it's uh, One Nation with Mark Latham, or the Liberal government or the Labor opposition. Uh, be aware of what the policies are and make up your mind when you get to the uh, ballot box. Brilliant. Thank you again for your time, Kevin, and uh, we will see you in a future episode, I'm sure. Thank you very much. Today, we need a special kind of courage, not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.